You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Oh, Father, gather our hearts now to you. And I pray, Lord, that you have used that story right there from JP and Julia to impact many in different ways already. Oh, Lord, I pray that there's a quickening of minds and hearts and desires and our wills to be aligned with yours. Oh, God, we seek you now again. Oh, how frail we are. Lord, how we are so not in control. We serve the one who is. And so, Lord, we look to you. And may there just be such a sense of prayer and dependence and love to you even now among this church family. Lord, may there be a, a sobering, I pray, may there be a, such a perspective. Help us to see. Lord, help us to really see through this life. Help us, Lord, to not be distracted by such sin, selfishness, and the things of the world. Help us to see you. Help us to hear from you. Help us to believe you're so near. Help us to understand your love is perfect. Your love is upon us, and your love will never leave us. Oh, God, we want to hear from you. I've been praying, oh, Lord, this week, today, right now, asking for you to be among us so clearly and so powerfully. Oh, God, we need you. Oh, God, we need you. Oh, God, we love you. Oh, God, would you, again, fill us guide us. Oh God, would you speak? Oh God, would you help us as we desire to be more available to you and what you would have, whatever that is, Lord, whatever that is, in good and bad, difficulty and joy. May our lives be centered upon the one who matters, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3. We're not wasting a lot of time today. We're going to get at it. Jonah chapter 3, We're going to read, first of all, verses 1 to 5. That's the starting of what we're doing. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 1 to 5. Obadiah Jonah Micah. Obadiah Jonah Micah. Isn't that fun to say? Obadiah Jonah Micah. There you go. I'm having fun anyways. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 uh, says this. You guys there? Are you there? Even to the back? Hey, the back. You got a Bible open, people at the back? Amen, amen. I love that. All right. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying... Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call it against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Live in the text, live in the text, live in the text. What that must have been like for Jonah, where he came from, where he is now, where he tried to flee, where he ends up being. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Notice this. And the people of God took him up and killed him. No, 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 no. It says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, whether you realize it or not, as we read the first five verses there in Jonah chapter 3, the passage we just read is a remarkable passage of grace. It's a remarkable passage, loved ones, of grace, of grace. Remember, do not allow our context within the book of Jonah to slip from our minds as well. Jonah, in the last verse of Jonah chapter 2, had just been thrown up or vomited out of a great fish onto the shores of dry land where he found himself. So just again, tell me if you're Jonah and this, took, this just took place and this great fish throws you up onto dry land. I mean, tell me, how are you feeling? How are you feeling right there? 
How you feeling? I mean, I have no idea exactly what Jonah must have been feeling. It must have been something, though, pretty special and also pretty crazy. And also just like, what are you thinking if you're Jonah? And by God's sovereignty, you're swallowed in this fish. And then you're up on the dry land. And then you got seaweed all over you and possibly the acid from inside the fish. And your skin's all white. We have no idea if that happened or not. Some people want to say it did. We don't know. But regardless, you're there and you're on this dry land. What are you thinking? That's a crazy sequence of events for anyone's life ever. And here is Jonah, and he realizes that God has a mission for his life. I mean, just a couple of days ago, Jonah boarded a ship. I'm out of here. And then like a day or so later, there he is, and he's back to where he began and trying to flee from God's sovereignty. Now he knows he's in under the sovereign will of God, and now he knows he's under the direct guidance of God as well. This is one of these situations where Jonah is thrown up out of the whale. Like, in heaven, I'm grabbing that DVD and I'm putting it in. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I need to watch what... How did that happen? What did that look like? What did he do? What was he thinking exactly? And just amazing for us to put ourselves in the life of Jonah to consider this. And here's my, here's my point. Jonah has been thrown up by the great fish onto dry land. Why? Solely because, listen, of the grace of God. It's the grace of God that is allowing Jonah to see again the purpose of God for his life. See this within Jonah's life. It's so powerful. There's grace in the storm. There's grace in being tossed overboard. There's grace in the fish swallowing him. And there's grace in the fish vomiting him onto dry land. It's all grace. You wouldn't see that in some ways. But a huge theme within Jonah is the sovereignty of God and God's heart for the lost and his desire to use his people within the process. Yes, God saw his rebellion, but God would not forget him. Yes, God forgave his sin and yet pursued him still. God's overwhelming and abundant grace was upon Jonah. Notice this too, because his overwhelming and abundant grace was also upon the people of Nineveh. See, what we're about to see by the grace of God within our passage today is a sequence of restoration, repentance, and revival. All because of the grace of God. We're going to see that in today's text. The restoration of Jonah. The repentance of the people of Nineveh. Widespread. The greatest to the least. And then a revival is going to break out. Because God is a God of love. And God is a God of grace. And God desires that none should perish. But all should receive eternal life. This is the God that we belong to. If we are saved by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we want to learn then from Jonah's life. We want to put ourselves again within his life. And what do we understand then about the grace of God upon our lives and his love that will not give up on us as well? Here's the first thing that we learn today with the grace of God. It's this. Listen, grace, grace, my God will not give up on me. Grace, loved ones, my God, your God, will not give up on you. My God will not give up on me. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying. Now, I love this truth right here in verse 1. Can you see it? Can you see it? In verse 1, what are we learning? We're learning this, that we belong to the God of second chances. We belong to the God of second chances. Jonah had a first chance. That's chapter 1, verse 1. And he bombed his first chance. God called him. God wanted to use him. Jonah takes off in such rebellion. Jonah is filled with self-love, self-interest, and a hard heart. But listen, but the Lord does not cut him off. 
No, instead, in his rebellion, the Lord pursues him. The Lord disciplines him. The Lord restores him. What a God we have. I love verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. We belong to a God of second chances. Love, let's just think of all the times that you and I have turned our backs in God in rebellion. I mean, just, just, just take a few moments just to think of all the times in our lives that we have spurned and rejected and moved away from what God has for us. All the times that we decided we knew better and we wanted ourselves and we turned away from God's love and what he had for us because of selfishness and sin and hardness of hearts. Just think of all the times that we have done that. Think of all the times we refused to listen, rejected his way, rejected his love, that we've loved our sin. And yet there God is in chapter 3, verse 1. Listen, and here he is even now in this place. Through this verse, here is God again pursuing, calling, loving. What is that? That is grace. There's one word for that. It's, it's grace. Do you know we're also learning here from Jonah's life. We are learning that as God's child... God does not hold grudges against us. We are a child of God. God does not hold grudges against us. And when you understand that, that is awesome. Some of us are here right now, and we've been under the condemnation of Satan for too long. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that ends today. In the name of Jesus Christ, to the righteousness that is only found in him, I pray that ends today. You see, you see here's the problem. We hold grudges in our lives. But God, by his grace, children, he does not. God is love and God is grace. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Awesome. Do you know how far the east is from the west? It's pretty far. It's like infinitely far. You go left, I'll go right. Let's see when we meet up. Never. All right? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In Christ, that is true. In Christ, that is grace. Stop for a second, loved ones. Consider the grace of God upon your life. There's not one person here in this room that does not need the grace of God. Not one single person. God does not give up on us. Grace pursues and calls and loves a God of second chances. Now you might be here right now and you're hearing of the grace of God and the God of second chances and it, sometimes in our hearts we're saying, but I don't deserve a second, third, or fourth chance. And you know what? Neither do I. None of us deserve a second chance, but that's the whole point of grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. It's a gift. Jonah didn't deserve a second chance. But because God loved him, because God wanted to use him, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. What is this grace that we're talking about? It's the power of the gospel. With Christ, all my sin is paid. In Christ, all my sin is gone. In Christ, all his righteousness is mine. Think about that. All my sin paid. All my sin on him. All his righteousness on me. I don't deserve it. I, don't deserve it. I know it's grace. It's grace. The God of second chances. And that's why that hymn, Amazing Grace, is so fantastic. Look at the second verse of Amazing Grace. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. 
and grace my fears relief. This is what's happening within Jonah's life too. It's the love and the grace of God. I want you to see this. Notice the two types of fear that John Newton wrote about here in this incredibly profound and, of course, powerful hymn. Grace that taught my heart to fear. Fear what? Fear the Lord. When I'm forgiven and I realize God gives me second chances and his love's gone and I don't deserve it, I fear the Lord. I am subject to wrath and judgment and hell, but in the grace of God, he forgives me and loves me and says to me, what else can I do but fall down and say, I am not worthy, you are awesome, oh my God, I worship you, I fear, I revere, I honor the Lord. Towards grace, you see, see, it's not like I'm afraid of God, it's the sense when I see his love upon my life, it's the grace of God that brings my heart to fear my God. You don't ever underestimate the power of grace in the gospel. The grace doesn't say, oh, wow, now i got grace, so I'll live for myself now. No, no, no. Grace says, I can't believe I'm forgiven, and this teaches my heart to fear. But notice this, and grace my fears relieved. Fear of God, now the fears of life. Because of God's grace upon me, all my sin is gone. His righteousness on me, what's to be stressed about, honestly? The anxiety goes away. The fear of the world isn't there because I am a child of God's grace. I cannot die. I am his. I am good. The power of the gospel. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Isn't that so true? How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. It was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. I want to sing that right now. Do you want to sing that? I want to sing that. You want to sing that too? All right, let's sing that together, right? Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. Yes, Lord. The hour I first believed. Here's the truth and here's the power. That grace is still upon you right this second. And Jesus Christ, that grace will be with you until the end of eternity. Loved ones, understand this. Because of the grace of God, you gotta look right here right now. You gotta look right here. You gotta hear this, ready? Because of the grace of God and the faith in Jesus Christ, listen, he loves you. He loves you, okay? I want you to hear that person to person today, the God of the universe looks upon you right now and he says, I love you. Bobby, he loves you. You. There's a lot of other people in this room right now, but God wants you to know right now, he loves you. He loves you, Pam. He loves you. Why? Good question. Because he's a God of grace and love and mercy, but I don't deserve it. I know. It's incredible. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Jonah must be like, man, what's up with this? My God is so kind and so good and so gracious. And it's the grace that propels Jonah now to be used. And it's the grace that God wants us to see. We can understand how much he wants to use us as well. Loved ones, listen to this, okay? Grace, my God will never give up on me. That's why we can run as far as we want, but you can't win because my God will win. I want you to hear it one more time. Grace. My God will never give up on me. If you are his, you are his forever. He will never give up on you. Second chances, third chances, fourth chances, 
Whatever it takes, God will do what God will do. This is the blessing of what we see in the grace of Jonah's life and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ upon our life as well. Number two, grace. My God pursues me to use me. See, there's purpose in his grace. There's tremendous purpose in his grace. Look at verse two. So now God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now he's obedient. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Forty days, Nineveh's done, overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now this little story that we just read in verses 2 to 5, this is nothing less than absolutely incredible. This is incredible. I mean, here again, we see the two grand themes of Jonah before us. The two grand themes in Jonah, if you remember, number one, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Notice this. God had a plan all along. God had a plan when Jonah went down to Joppa. God had a plan when Jonah went on the ship to Tarshish. God had a plan when he went down to sleep below the boat there. God had a plan through the storm. God had a plan through the sailors. God had a plan through the fish. And God has a plan for Jonah now when he's on dry land to go back to the place he originally asked him to. God's got a plan because God's in charge and because God is sovereign. His plan is completely including, notice, amazing grace all over the place. The second grand theme we see within Jonah is God's heart for evangelism. Notice the Lord desires that none should perish, so he wants to use Jonah to send forth his message of love. So the Lord pursues Jonah because he loves Jonah, but notice this, he also pursues Jonah to use Jonah. Don't you see that? That's such a key point for us here right now. So God pursues you because he loves you, and so God wants to change you. But more than that, God's love is upon you to pursue you because he wants to use you. He's pursuing you and me for a purpose. Not so we sit there and do nothing. Not so we just are spiritually lazy and just go through the motions. No, no. He pursues you to love you because he wants to use you. 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 Not the person there and there. You. God wants to use you. Is he, is he, is he calling you? He wants to use you. Is he pursuing you? Is he, is he coming after you? He wants to use you. He wants to use you in your life and in your family and in your, in your marriage and in your neighborhood and your workplace and in your church and in your, and your loved ones and in strength. He wants to use you. He's pursuing Jonah with a purpose to use him with the message of love that God wants to go forth within his people and within this world. So please understand then, as we learn here, we step back to see certain things, how important God's gospel is to God. Ever thought about that? How important the gospel of God is to God. Isn't it interesting That Jesus, when he was pursuing Peter after his denial, my favorite chapters in Scripture, John 21, and Peter denying, I think I resonate so strong with Peter denying because we're all in that place at times and we just fail Christ. But then Jesus doesn't give up on Peter and there's Peter in the boat and he sees Jesus. Jesus like, try the other side and wait, wait, is that our master? And Peter just whips into the sea and starts swimming as fast as he can because he's so filled with love. Why? Because he's so overcome by grace. Don't you see? He's like, wait, wait, I get a second chance. Jesus could have called me off, but he doesn't. And Peter recognizes that. This, 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 this Jesus, the Son of God, he loves me still. And he jumps in the water and swimming all he can. 
And so interesting, isn't it, that Jesus says to him right after that, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me again? Do you love me? And each time, what does Jesus say? One of the conditions of understanding God's love for us and our love for him is, hey, Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, tend my sheep. Peter, love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Think about that. Does God care about his message reaching his sheep? Uh, yes. And the proof of Peter's love to Jesus, according to this text, is if you love me, Peter, you will not hold my message within. You will take my message without. Because the same grace that saved you, I want you now to share that grace with hundreds and thousands of others as I direct through your life. And you will give me glory as you are obedient through the message of the gospel that I've entrusted to you. See, we're learning here with the life of Jonah, life of Peter, within our own lives, we can't fully love Christ. We can't fully love Christ. I'm going to say this slow. I want you to think about this. I want you to hear. We can't fully love Christ and not speak of Christ. You can't fully love him and not speak of him to a lost and dying world. Because that's just when we're so aware of the grace that is given to us, we want that to go from us because God's grace, listen, he pursues me to use me. Now, some of us right now, we're like, man, that's, that's pretty convicting. And you're like, well, then what am I supposed to do? Listen, that's the wrong question to ask. It's not what am I supposed to do. The question really is who am I supposed to be? Because when I get who I'm supposed to be before Christ, well, that's when the things are accomplished through my life with Christ. What you need to see through Jonah's life and Jonah's change, and here's what we're going to know, and Jonah's going to have a hard time in chapter 4, I know that. Right now, he's seeing differently. He is a changed man. I want to I wanna point out three causes of transformation, three causes of transformation on the screen beside me of what happened with Jonah. The first one is this. I want you to know when one thing begets another. The first one is this. Grace begets grace. Within our lives, see it, grace begets. Grace is the cause for more grace. Grace begets grace. When we see the grace of God to us, it, it, it shows the grace of God from us as well. If you and I want to be an instrument of grace, then we need to be receivers of grace. When I have received, and I know I've received the grace of God, it, it caused me to be an instrument of grace then of God from my life. When Jonah lands on the shore, he's a changed man. He's not perfect, I know that, but he's a changed man. He's been crying out, all of chapter 2 is crying out about the grace of God, which, notice, is now putting him in a perfect position to declare God's grace. So the more that we are aware of the grace that we've received, then the more we are aware and willing to extend it to others. That's why... You know, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. But somehow, through the gospel, through songs, through prayer, we just can't have that preciousness the hour we first believed. we got to take it with us right now. That as we sang that song, I saw some of you with tears in your eyes, broken over the gospel again in your life, and Lord willing, causing us to say, God, this grace must come from me now. I see this again, it must come from me. Notice in the gospels, time and time again, 
Jesus comes in, heals someone. Jesus comes in, spiritually heals someone. And what do they do? Do they stand there and say, right on, Jesus, thanks for that. I'm going to sit down now and just enjoy the rest of my life. Woo-hoo! No, no, no. They can't help but go, whoa, I'm leaping and praising and telling everyone what just happened. I love the story of the woman at the well. And there's Jesus, convicts her in her sin. Hey, go get your husband. She's like, oh, no, my husband. I have a bunch of those, right? And Jesus knows that because Jesus knows there, are, there is no true conversion without conviction, okay? And he tells her about living water, and he says, the person you're speaking of, ultimate Messiah, I am he. And she sees something for the first time. And what does she do? She says, still, no, no, no. She runs back to the town that she came from. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. That's awesome. Come and see. Come and see. And the text says, and many Samaritans believed about Jesus Christ because of the woman's testimony. See, see, when you're truly saved in the grace of God, you just can't sit there and do nothing. No, no, no. Come and see. You go, come and see. Come and see. Come and see Jesus, the guy who saved me, the man who saved me, the man who set me free from all of this. That's what grace does. You're so aware of grace. You're overwhelmed by grace. That you must speak of grace. Grace begets grace. And that's why the gospel must be in our lives all the time. I can't believe I've been saved. I can't believe I've been saved. I can't believe I've been saved. I got to tell people about the one who saves. Uh, Secondly, death begets life. Death begets life. See what do you mean by that? Well, when Jonah first called, he was simply not ready. When he was first called, he was full full of self and sin. But notice, then the discipline of the Lord begins. And the purpose of the discipline of the Lord in our lives is to what? Is to break us, is to humble us, is to change us, ultimately is to put us to death. Uh, Take up your cross, lose your life. The grain of wheat that falls to the earth and dies is the one that bears much fruit. See, this is why God's discipline is so gracious. The discipline of God, because he loves us, brings a death to us. And as we die to self, we live in Christ. Look at what Hebrews 12 says about the discipline of the Lord. This is such a great text. For they discipline, now this is talking about fathers, earthly mothers and fathers. For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, God disciplines us for our good. So God's discipline comes upon our life for our good that we may share in his holiness. Do you see that? Do you see that? So he allows trials. He sends in hard things. He disciplines us like a parent would a child. He disciplines us that we might become more holy. You see, because our death begets life in Christ. We die in self. We become alive in Jesus Christ. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. See, that, that's the part we don't like. It's like, oh man, the trial and the pain, and it's really hard. I want things to be easy. In the moment, it seems painful rather than pleasant. And we all agree with that. Yes, yes. And in our flesh, I don't want to go through the trial. I don't want the discipline of God. But God knows better. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been noticed trained by it. See, God knows what he's doing. And he loves us and he pursues us, listen, and he disciplines us because he wants to use us. And the moment we begin to die to self is the moment the life of Christ begins to see through us more and more and more. Grace begets grace. Death begets life. Listen, brokenness, brokenness begets obedience. It's the hard heart that says, yeah, what's in it for me? Right, the hard heart that says, and just said, I don't want it to be about me, but the soft heart that says, I'm here to serve you, Lord. It's the broken heart that says, 
whatever you want me to do, you know. It's like in Luke 17, I think it is, and that the servant, the unworthy servant is, you've only done your duty. Don't ask for anything special. You've only done your duty. You're serving your master. That's us. We've only done our duty. And brokenness, so in that place, it begets obedience. So it's grace that fuels passion. It's brokenness that fuels our obedience. And so Jonah, here he is, broken and humbled. He arises, he goes to Nineveh, to this exceedingly great city, it says. Three days journey in breadth. That probably means, not totally sure, probably means the time it would take to walk around the entire city. Pretty big. And then Jonah obeys and he calls out, yet 40 days... Yet, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Notice his message was not an easy message, but notice it was God's message. This is so needed in our day. Brokenness, brokenness fills us with such love. See, you see what happens? Brokenness fills us with such love that we love too much not to tell people the truth. Okay, so Jonah walks into Nineveh and so aware of the grace and love of God and what he's supposed to do. And, and even though it's so hard, when we're truly broken, we speak the message of love because we understand that lives are at stake. And that, that, that's what's needed in our lives. We don't have enough of that. We have too much fear of man. We have too much I want ease for self. We have too much of me. And God wants to put more of him in us. And we're so broken at the end of the day. I don't care what the person thinks of me because this, I'm telling them a message to save them from eternal death. And so in the end, the perspective of the gospel and the grace of the gospel, I'm so broken, I must obey. Because at the end of the day, I have to stand before God as well. He commanded me to do something. And so I don't care what man says. I love man too much. Not to say what is true. Now, do I do this all the time perfectly? As if. But I believe God wants to do this in me increasingly and you more and more. And the root is to say, it's, it, it's in the gospel. It's the grace that I've received. I'm not hoarding it for myself now. Giving, giving it out. Oh, Lord, help us to do this. I mean, just, just, just again, be Jonah, okay? Be Jonah. Here you are walking into this massive city. Massive city. And you're just like, you know, okay, so here we go. Yet 40 days. And Nineveh, I mean, like, just like, what are you, what's going to happen? He just he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He just knows he's trying to be obedient to what God has told him to do and God is in charge and God knows. But listen, brokenness in our lives begets obedience through our lives. It does. And then the text says in verse 5, see verse 5? And the people of Nineveh believed God. God pursues me, why? To use me. Loved ones, God relentlessly pursues us because he wants to use us. He wants to use us. God will never give up on me. God pursues me to use me. Here's more grace. Loved ones, here's more grace. Uh, number three, don't ever limit the love of God in your life. Don't ever limit the love of God in this world. Don't ever limit what God can do through love and grace. Look at verse five now to 10. So the people of Nineveh believe God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth, and the grace of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published, okay, remember, remember, Nineveh was like a horrible, evil place. Just imagine this happening. 
He says, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Here's true repentance, all right? True repentance doesn't presume upon God. True repentance is like, if I do A, you do B, God. True repentance is like, I am not worthy. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a, a what? A wretch like me. And this is what the king understands, man. We're not worthy of forgiveness. He's like, let's repent. Let's get on our face. Let's get down as, as quickly as we can. And who knows? Not presuming upon God. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger and we may not perish. Do you see that? That's such an important aspect of true repentance. There's no guarantee of anything. We just know I'm so sinful. I have grieved God Almighty. All I know to do is to get as low and as sorrowful for sin as possible. And who knows? God might relent. It's a beautiful phrase right there. Powerful. So many people are like, well, if I, if I repent to God, will he give me what I want? See, no, no. I have so many like, like married couples in the room or whatever, just people, just like, and it's just like, it's just like, well, 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 I want to be sorry so then I can get ultimately the life that I want. That's not repentance. It's not. That's, that's God. You make my life better if I do things sort of what you want, but really it's about me. The king gets it here, man. The king gets it. Who knows? Maybe God will relent. Amazing. Notice, first of all, in, in verse 5, the people don't believe in Jonah. The people believe in God. See that? Whenever God's grace is truly at work, man might be used, but it's God that is believed. And what we have next here is one of the more powerful examples of repentance and revival in history, like ever. Jonah announces 40 days, but it seems like the people of Nineveh didn't need more than 40 seconds. I want you to know, too, that the Hebrew text, in the Hebrew, it indicates that Jonah's sermon contained five words. Five words, an entire pagan city is changed. Don't ever limit the love and grace of our God. Loved ones, we've been given a message and we are commanded to share it. I know I loved even in JP's testimony today on the video, I got so encouraged with the two people on the plane, the different plane rides. And there they are, they have the courage just to share the love of Christ. And wouldn't you know it, that's what God used to bring JP and connected to that, his wife Julia, to faith in Jesus Christ through the book, More Than a Carpenter. That is so awesome. And I'm sure these people on the plane, I'm sure they were, they were rejected many times before. I'm sure not every person sat down beside them, wanted to hear what the message of Christ is. You be quiet, you shut up, you don't tell me about that stuff, I don't want to hear that. But there they were, loving and loving, seeking to be used. That inspires me, It inspires me. Listen, we will never, we will never know when God will choose to save but we know he is saving. And we know he's mighty to save. Amen, church? Our job is to share. God's job is to save. That's the best part. Our job is to share. We are the instruments that he desires to use. Why? I don't know. It's crazy, but this is how he drew it up. Drew it up. As the church, the Great Commission, the power of the gospel, never underestimate the power of the gospel. I've always loved this story of the gospel showing up in the most unique places. Let me read it for you. It's a story of a pastor, a reverend called William Haslam, who was ordained into the Church of England in 1842, okay? So he was a full-fledged pastor, reverend. He was a conscientious, serious man. He was an authority in history and architecture. But sadly, the one thing he was not, the one thing that Pastor Haslam was not, was a true believer in Jesus Christ, okay? Not truly saved. 
It was in 1851. It was nine years after his ordination. So he was in the ministry for nine years, preaching the gospel for nine years. He was preaching from the gospel of the day, and his text was when Jesus says, well, who do you think I am? It was during his own sermon on this day that the Holy Spirit opened his spiritual eyes to see the Christ of whom he was speaking. And as the pastor, the un converted pastor is preaching about the gospel of Jesus Christ or this text instantly his heart was moved to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he was awakened and he was saved now here's the funny part okay here's the funny and amazing part the change upon the preacher pastor Haslam was so obvious that a local preacher who was in church jumped up and shouted the pastor's converted hallelujah That's awesome. And instantly, the chorus of three or four hundred people in the congregation began to shout in unison praises to God. William Haslam himself joined the praise. The people sang, worshipped, and exalted their God over and over and over again. That would have been amazing. And listen, news spread like wildfire that the pastor was converted. Imagine that. Revival broke out lasting three years, filled with God's presence. The reverence ministry later ended up being leading other clergy to true faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? And listen, listen. Don't ever limit the power and the grace of God through his gospel. Don't ever limit what he could do. (laughs) The pastor's converted. But you know what? Like, Around our nation right now, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people preaching something, and they're not saved. All sorts of churches all over the place, dead. What would happen if God got a hold of some people so close that so far away? Don't ever limit what God can do. Don't ever limit the love and the grace of God. Notice the extent the extent and depth of the repentance of the people in Nineveh. Notice this. Notice in verse 5, it reached the greatest to the least of the people. Notice in verse 6, it reached the king. Notice the repentance is demonstrative. So there's a, when there's a clear internal, there's a clear external. Notice with the people, there's, there's, there's no excuses. This repentance is real because there's no rationalization of any kind. We're the problem. We're the problem. We're the problem. Get low. Turn away from evil ways. Maybe God will relent. Notice verse 8. It cries out mightily to God. Crying out independence. Oh, have mercy. Notice in verse 8 also, repentance hates evil. Notice in verse 9 that repentance, as we talked about, does not presume upon God. Who knows? Maybe God will relent. True repentance knows they are owed nothing by God but the deep sorrow for sin. Notice the extent and the depth of the repentance found within the people of, of Nineveh. And what are we learning about repentance within here? And we know from the New Testament as well that true repentance is, is due, listen, is due to the kindness of God. See, God pursues us to use us, and we understand as we're seeking to be used, don't, 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 don't ever write off. You know, how many people have written off the Apostle Paul? How many people? Probably all of the disciples. There's people in our lives right now that God wants to work and we would never think, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. Don't ever limit what God can do. When he decides to move, Romans 2, 4, it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. It's God's kindness. And so God's kindness is among us and, 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 and working through us. And again, notice, notice verse 10, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Don't ever limit the grace and love of our God. 
And maybe we should right now take a moment and consider our opportunity with the gospel right now, our opportunity with the message of life. Maybe we stop and we consider the power of our God, and sometimes let's consider the feebleness of our faith. How seldom maybe we take advantage of this. I want to make sure you know this too. Jonah was not guaranteed revival. Jonah was commanded to share. We're not guaranteed anything by God. He's the one who decides to do all that. We plan and water, God gives the growth. But we are commanded to share. So we can't tell God what to do, but listen, we never limit what God can do. But what we know for sure is that God commands us to speak. Why? Because he will move. He is guaranteed to move in some form and in some way. Don't ever limit what God can do. And we're seeing a massive picture of revival here. You know, a really good friend of mine, he handed this to me yesterday. And I don't know why he did. He's like, hey, I thought you might want to read this. might be encouraged. And, and I just read this. And this is really close to home here in Oakville. And this is on this theme. I said, you know what? Maybe the Lord wants me to share this with people this weekend as part of this message. Just an extort, a story of revival and, and to see our hopes and faith be lifted up. This was in the um, Hamilton Spectator sometime not too long ago. And it said this, it's this, this guy writing about this awakening that took place in Hamilton 167 years ago at some point. He says, in the autumn of 18, I'm just going to read this in, in full here, and I hope it's going to be less new. In the autumn of 1857, a woman and her doctor evangelist husband were delayed in Hamilton on their way home to Albany, New York. They had been preaching to a massive Canadian camp crowds all summer, and while stopped in Hamilton to catch a connecting train, their luggage was lost in the transfer, so they had to sit there for a while. Two local Methodist ministers convinced the couple to lead a prayer meeting since they were stuck in town until the luggage to be located. On Thursday, October 8, 1857, Walter and Phoebe Palmer led a prayer meeting in Hamilton, which boasted a population of 23,000 at the time. Only 65 people attended the service. But pretty soon, services were held from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Within 10 days, almost 400 people were converted to Jesus Christ, including John Moore, the city's mayor. Amen. News of Hamilton's revival, this is what's so neat. The news of Hamilton, I never heard of this, of Hamilton's revival reached New York City on November 5th, 1857, and it fanned the flames of another prayer meeting, later dubbed the Fulton Street Revival, which was a massive movement of God through prayer through New York. While the American revival swept across the frontier, Canada's revival swept across uh, east, across Ontario to Quebec, Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland. To be sure, Hamilton wasn't the cause of the New York revival, but it was an indication of a greater spiritual movement that just happened to start north of the border. It was the beginning of the Third Great Awakening. The 1857 panic in New York led to a three-year depression and ultimately the start of the Civil War. Despite the immense upheaval, the Third Great Awakening that started in Hamilton would echo through the ages. The decades that followed were an amazing period where revival broke out throughout America and around the world. Listen to this. Over one million people came to faith by the end of 1859. One million. Andrew Murray. See what happens when, when revival kicks in and God starts bursting incredible fruit. Andrew Murray championed the South African revival in 1860. He had a massive influence upon Charles Spurgeon. Metropolitan Tabernacle was constructed in 1861. Abraham Lincoln issued the final Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. In 1865, Hudson Taylor began the China Inland Mission and William and Catherine Booth started the Salvation Army. George Mueller built the last of his orphanages in 1870. God's on the move. D.L. Moody shot to prominence a few years after the Chicago Fire in 1871. Though not ordained, he helped to see... William Wilbur Chapman received assurance of salvation. Chapman's future assistant, Billy Sunday, became a preacher and started a meeting. That later meeting invited Mordecai Ham to preach. Billy Graham got saved during the meeting. My grandfather, Clarence Bakke, said, to whom my book on prayer is dedicated, 
Billy Graham led a crusade in Toronto. He's trying to draw the connection of the revival of all that happened. He said, I found the place where the Palmer prayer meeting first took place in Hamilton. It's now a parking lot beside a corporate building, not far from Hamilton's Art Crawl District. It is a place I've driven by many times. There's no marble memorial or bronze plaque that marks the spot where the third great awakening began. He says, somehow that's fitting. And he says in the context of this prayer day that America was having some time ago, he says, as America celebrates prayer with fanfare and a presidential proclamation, many Canadians will bow their head in silent prayer like any other day of the week. He says, but who knows? Perhaps revival will come again someday. You know, and, and I don't think that was coincidence that was handed to me yesterday when I didn't ask for it. I think God's saying to us, don't you dare limit what I can do. Don't you dare begin to put parameters. I don't care how evil the world is. I don't care how much disruption there is worldwide. I don't care how much you think people are lost. The moment I begin to work, God says, you look out. You look out. Because when I start something, I will not be stopped. We have a message to share. And our job is to share it. One of the things I want to do, I want to do this on behalf of myself. And I want to do this on behalf of the church right now, just to end this message. What is it? I want to repent. Repentance is so powerful because it ushers in the grace of God. And so together, and I just ask that you would take this very seriously, yet washed in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a few things I want to repent of together right here on the screen. And the first one is this, and you can join me if you'd like to. And before the Lord, just saying these things in your heart before him. God, I repent that I have limited your love and grace within and from my life. I repent, Lord. I have put parameters on a God who cannot be contained. Here's the next one. I repent, Lord, that I lack a true and genuine love for the lost. I repent, Lord, for the fact that often I just don't care. Forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. Next. I repent that I often prefer self-comfort and ease over discomfort for the gospel. I repent. Lord, as a church, we repent that so often comfort is our God and the gospel is ignored. Next. I repent that I've been ashamed of the testimony of my Savior. There have been times where the opportunity has come to speak of Jesus, and we have not done it. Because ultimately, we are ashamed that we would be rejected in the process of honoring our Christ. We repent. May we never, ever be ashamed of Jesus, the Christ. Next, I repent of my fear of man and my fear of rejection, that I care more about what people think than I do about what you've called me to do. I repent. And lastly, I repent of my spiritual apathy and my laziness towards the power of the gospel in my life. I repent, Lord, 
Now remember, grace begets grace. And so the grace of God is here today. I'm not afraid of conviction, but I don't take any time for condemnation. So this is not condemnation, but this is conviction. And the Holy Spirit has come to bring conviction. So let me pray on behalf of us right now. Father, I'm very thankful for the stillness of these last few seconds. I sense, Lord, that you're speaking to your church. And you are being very clear and reminding us of what actually matters and where we need to be. So, Lord, on behalf of this church family even here right now, Lord, and I gladly present myself before you and the elders here and the leaders and the people. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us of unrighteousness. And fill us with hope, Lord, for what will be. And faith for what will be. God, we can never limit the love and grace of our God, ever. Ever. Isn't that so true, church? We never limit the love and grace of our God. So often, Lord, we have looked upon the society and say, there's no hope. Oh, it's there. there's no hope. Looked upon family members, there's no hope. Looked upon governments across this world, there's no hope. Looked upon war, there's no hope. But Lord, we are not you. You are you. And so I pray, Lord, you will remind us again that you are mighty to save. And we, Lord, as a church, we cannot stop asking great things from a God who can do all things. And so we do ask great things. And I just pray right now you be so encouraged, loved ones, where you are, that you will hear the Lord saying, listen, listen, I will never give up on you. I will never give up on you. My grace will never leave you through faith in the, in the blood of Jesus Christ. I will never give up on you. God says, I pursue you. I want want to use you. I pursue you. Now, it's going to be hard. We're going to get knocked down. We're going to have times of fear. But in the end, right now, God calls us again, and he reminds us because he wants to use us. Don't you see? So you've fallen in the ditch. That's okay. That's okay. By the grace of God, he says, get up now. Get up now. Let me strengthen you. Today's a new day, and now I want to use you. Jonah fell down, but the word of the Lord came to him a second time. And the word of the Lord comes to us. A second, third, fourth, fifth time today again. Why? Because he loves us enough that he wants to use us. Amazing, amazing. Your grace is amazing. So we're humbled, I pray right now. Lord, I'm so humbled. I'm so thankful and so needy. Help us, I pray, even right now as we sing. As we sing right now, there'd be a sense of the gospel flowing with faith through our lives. Lord, help us to feel, to know, and to believe As one people, yes, Lord, you are God and you will do what you will do. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen, church.